Amen. And good morning, Evangel. How's everyone this morning? Good? Excellent. How many of you have your Christmas tree up? Excellent. You guys are better than the first two services. Jeff and I got our Christmas tree up yesterday, and uh, we, were, we finally got it up just yesterday. Now, I know some of you, you had your tree up just after Labor Day, and it's going to be up until March break. I am not that person. God bless you if you are that person. Uh, we are, we get our, our tree gets decorated and our house gets decorated. If we're lucky, first week of December, it's usually middle of December and it comes down on New Year's Day. There's a two week window. We do Christmas in that and then it's, and then we move on. And so we finally got our tree of yesterday and, and my husband deserves props because he was a little bit hesitant, said, really, Patty, are we going to pull our Christmas tree out? Because we just finished unpacking and putting everything away and getting the house together and everything got put into storage. And now you're asking me to go back to storage and pull the Christmas tree out. And I said, well, honey, I wrote in my sermon that we put our Christmas tree up, so we have to. And so he was very gracious about that, and he did that. And uh, how many of you, you know, lots of times memories get attached to ornaments that you have on your tree. Uh, some of you, maybe you have a, a perfect catalog tree. Ours is not. Ours is a mishmash of color and, and mismatched things, and none of it goes together, and it's all a little bit weird sometimes. But that's because all of the ornaments that are on our tree actually have memories attached to them. And, and we'll go, oh, and so when you start putting the ornaments on the tree, you go, oh, do you remember when this happened? Or do you remember? when that happened? Remember this person, right? You're nodding at me over here. You get it, right? The rest of them don't know what we're talking about, but you and I, we're on the same page. And uh, so, so I thought I'd show you a few of the ornaments that Jeff and I have on our tree. We have, um, for example, we have hand-painted communion cups on our tree, which I bet nobody else here has. And the reason we have that is because um, a woman named Brenda, who was part of a church that I was pastoring at, she collected for several months before Christmas, collected the used communion cups when we were done, and she took them home and she washed them. And then she hand-painted them, and some of them she... Um, um, paper mache little bits of wrapping paper on and stuff. So they looked all cool and made little sets that you could order. And then she sold them to help supplement her income, which I thought was super creative. So we have those on our tree. We have um, a little pine cone skier on our tree, which I don't know what that has to do with Christmas. But the very first year that I was a pastor and we um, had a Christmas banquet at our church, we had a woman named Sue and she made one of those little guys for every single person that attended the banquet. They all had it on their plate. And so 20 plus years later, we still have this little pine cone skier. He's pretty fragile, but he's still, he's still holding together. And then we also have um, a, a silver antique Christmas ball. That's it right there. And it's really beautiful. It catches the light really nicely. Jeff's sister, Jane, gave it to us one year for Christmas. She found it probably in an antique store. She's just great at, at finding those little things. The difficulty with it is it's, it's gorgeous, and I love it to bits. It's also very heavy because it's so old, and it's actual glass in there. And so it falls off the tree every year. And so that's why it's nestled in there in those branches. And I'm hoping when we go home today, it's still in that spot. And then um, we also have a set of ornaments that um, <laughs> are from our first year that we were married. So the first Christmas that we had together, so not the blue one, the one, the big one there with the kind of music thing on it, we, uh, we were going to go to visit friends in Nova Scotia. I got the flu. And so we, we weren't going anyway, though. So we left Ontario with me with the flu and made our way across the country and went to Dartmouth. And by the time we got to the Dartmouth, I'd fully recovered. I was healthy again. And it was fine. And by the time we got there, we, um, it's past Christmas. It's Boxing Day. And so our friend said, let's go to do 
Boxing Day sales. And uh, Jeff and I, it was our first Christmas together, and so I think we had put up a tree, but we were flat broke, right? Flat broke, no money. Both of us were students. We had nothing. Our tree was probably decorated with paper or something like that. And so we go out for these Boxing Day sales, and there were, of course, Christmas tree ornaments on sale. And I thought these ones here were so classy looking, right? How many think that those are just the classiest can you just go with me on it? Uh, I felt really good about them. And, uh, and they were on sale for like such a great price. And so I really had to stop and think. I had to chat with Jeff about it. I was like, do we have enough money? Can we? And we splurged. We bought two boxes of these ornaments that were on sale that year. And so we actually have something on our tree. And then we have one other thing that I needed to show you that goes on our tree because I thought I need to be open and honest with you. And I'm sorry, but it's also attached to a memory because when we left Ontario, of course, just a few months ago, some of our friends said to us, well, you need to take a piece of Ontario with you, even to the land where the Habs reign supreme. And so I'm I'm sorry, but I have to honor the gifts that are given to us and respect what, and so we have the Toronto Maple Leafs on our tree and hopefully I'm not fired at the end of this Sunday. So how many of you, you have stories attached to some of the ornaments that you have on your tree, right? And, and little conversations in that. And uh, I, I just, I, here's what I want to do today. I know, I don't want you to walk out of here and go, the pastor has no idea of the historical timeline. I do, but we're going to imagine a little bit today. I know that Christmas trees um, weren't really around until hundreds of years after Jesus. I know that. Okay, you don't have to correct me on that later today. But if they had been... What I want to do is I want to imagine if there were Christmas trees, let's say about 50 years after the birth of Christ. So, so Christ was born, and then when he was about 30 years old, that's when he went into ministry, and then three years later he was, uh, died and rose again. And now we're talking several years after that. So we're looking at 40 or 50 years after the time that Christ was born, and, and kind of imagine the conversations that might have happened among different families as they put their ornaments on the Christmas tree. For example, okay, you got to imagine with me and you go way back to 40 or 50 years after the birth of Christ and now we're in grandma and grandpa's house. This is it right here, okay? Grandma and grandpa's house and, and the whole family's there and they're decorating the tree and grandpa especially, he's just got this little grin on his face because he's so excited. He loves the lights and he loves the tinsel and how the color and everything gets reflected on it and there's a reason for that, that he loves to see all of that and the family is putting up um, the Christmas ornaments and his littlest granddaughter comes up and she toddles up to him and she's holding this ornament in her hand and the ornament is like... It looks like dried mud. It's kind of this grayish brown blob. And she says, Grandpa, what's this? And Grandpa smiles, because there's a story. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who'd been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. So Grandpa sits down in his rocking chair. You getting this, right? Grandpa sits down in his rocking chair and he looks at his little granddaughter and he says, Oh, sweetie, there's a story to that ornament that you're holding. 
He said, you see, before you were born, I was a different guy. A long time ago before you were born, I was blind. And I was a beggar on the street. I was completely dependent on the pity of everybody else around me. And you know, I would sit there on the side of the road, and I was the kind of guy that nobody valued. Nobody thought I was important. Nobody thought I was worth respect. Nobody even talked to me. They just talked about me. They would stand in front of me and have conversations about me, but they wouldn't talk to me. I was just this blind guy on the street. And everybody figured that the reason I was blind was because I had done something wrong. I had sinned. I had done something evil. And and that's why I was born blind. And then other people, they would say, well, that doesn't make sense because he was born blind. So how could he possibly have sinned before that? It must have been his parents. And they would have these theological discussions back and forth about whether it was me or my parents that had done something wrong for me to be born blind. Because that was the only explanation anybody could think of. Somebody had done something wrong, and God was angry, and because of that, I was blind, and it was my punishment. That's what everybody thought. And so one day, I was sitting on the side of the road like I always was, sitting blind, holding out my hand, hoping someone would help me. And this crowd of people came up, I could hear them, and the same conversation started again. And this group of of men, they said, they obviously had a teacher with them, and they said, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Once again, all I am is a theological discussion. I'm not a person. It's like they think I can't even hear them because I'm blind. Maybe I'm deaf too. And then, strangest thing happened. This voice answered them, and he said something I had never heard anyone say before. And he said, neither. It's so that God's power can be shown in him. I thought that was odd. And then I heard this weird sound, like somebody spitting. I'm not going to make that sound today, but you can imagine it. I heard this weird sound like somebody spitting in dirt. And then people that were around, they started kind of going, what's he doing? I don't know. Oh, that's so weird. Oh, oh, what's he doing? And next thing I know, all of a sudden, something's being slapped on my face, and it feels like mud, and I'm not trying, to th- trying not to think about how that mud got made. And all of a sudden, I don't have a clue what's going on, and this same voice that had spoken before tells me to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. <laughs> I didn't have a clue what was going on. I sat there and thought, what on earth? But there was something about that voice that I thought, I trust this guy. And I had mud on my face now, so had to go wash it off. So I did what he said, and I went to the pool of Siloam, and I splashed some water on my face, and as I wiped away the dirt and wiped away the mud, I could see. For the first time in my life, I could see. And I was so excited about it. I couldn't believe that this had happened. And I, I went running home because I thought, I got I to gotta tell people. People are going to be so excited about it. And that's when it all got weird. 
I got back, to, got back home and all the neighbors that had stood in front of me all those years talking about me, well, they still did it. They stood right in front of me talking about me instead of talking to me. And they started arguing about whether I was who I said I was. And I said, no, I am. I'm the guy that was sitting right here. I was blind. And one neighbor said, I don't think that's him. I think it looks like him, but I don't think it's actually him. And another neighbor said, I don't know. He looks a lot the same. I think that's the the shirt that he was wearing this morning. And I kept saying, hello, hello. And nobody would talk to me. So I gave up on them. And then I went over to the temple because I thought, clearly, God has done something amazing. And I should go to the temple and I should should go over there and give a testimony about something that has happened. And so I went and I told the Pharisees, and that's the religious leaders, and they weren't very happy about it at all. I don't know why. They called in my parents. Could you imagine? Called in my parents. I was a grown man. And they called in my parents to verify if I was who I said I was. And they said to my parents, is this your son? And they said, yeah. And then they said to my parents, was he born blind? Yes. And they said to my parents, well, what happened? They said, we don't know. My parents, you know, they didn't really want to get involved They'd spent so much time of their life over the years having people criticize them and beat them up because everybody thought they had done something evil or something shameful or there was something wrong with them because I had been born blind and they didn't really want to answer any more questions. They didn't want to get involved and I understand that. So finally, the Pharisees, they asked me what I thought and I said, I don't know. It seems to me like this Jesus guy is a prophet or something because I was blind and now I can see and he healed me. Then they got really mad and they started firing questions at me and they started pressuring me and telling me what I should answer and what the right answer was supposed to be. And they said, listen, you need to give glory to God because we know that this man, Jesus, is a sinner. I said, wow. I don't know whether he's a sinner. I just know I was blind and now I can see. But, but what did they do, he asked. How did this happen, the Pharisees kept asking me. You know, I'll be honest with you, that's where I started running out of patience because this good thing had happened and nobody seemed excited about it and I was a little frustrated and I, well, I probably got a little mouthy to some of the religious leaders then. And I said to them, look, I told you once. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to be his disciples too? That's when they threw me out of the temple. And grandpa's little granddaughter standing there holding this ornament just right staring at them. And the rest of the family standing to the side and they're listening. They're kind of smiling because they've heard this story before. They know how it goes. And grandpa keeps rocking and telling his story. He says, you know, I walked around further that day and just trying to see all the stuff I had never seen. And I didn't even know what I was looking at sometimes. Sometimes I had to close my eyes and feel it to try to figure out what it was. And then I could recognize what it was because I'd never seen it before. Or sometimes I had to smell things or taste them to figure it out. And and so I was going around and and looking at all the stuff that was there. And then all of a sudden, this this person, this man started walking towards me and he caught my eye. And he, he started, And 
I didn't know who he was, but I mean, I didn't know who my best friend was. I didn't know what they looked like, but he came over to me and he started talking to me and I closed my eyes to see if I could figure it out. And I closed my eyes and I listened and the voice sounded familiar. When Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and asked him, do you believe in the son of man? The man answered, who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. You have seen him, Jesus said, and he is speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshiped Jesus. You know, later I remembered what Jesus had said when the disciples had asked that question. Why was he born blind? Everybody thought it was because of something I did wrong. Everybody thought I was evil. They thought I was disgraceful. They thought I was shameful. Even his disciples thought that. And they were wrong. Jesus said it was because God wanted to show his power in me. And Jesus didn't think I was disgraceful at all. He thought I was valuable. He thought I was somebody that God could use. He thought I was worth finding and healing and changing my life. He thought I was worth all that. You know, I settled back and I thought, well, if God thinks that way about me, then I'm going to live that way. And he took the little ornament from his granddaughter and he said, sweetie, every time I look at this ornament of gray-brown blob of mud, and he hangs it on the tree, every time I look at it, I remember Jesus thought I was good enough to be used by God. He thought that I could be somebody that could demonstrate God's amazing love and power. He thought I was somebody that could honor God. That's the difference Jesus made in me. And then you got to go to another house. No, no, no. You go to another house. Picture it over there, why don't you? And, uh, and there's, there's another family there, and, and there's, there's apple cider on, and you can smell it, and it's really good. And there's jazz Christmas music playing in the background, and it's all really beautiful and fun, and the tree is a little bit lopsided like this one is today. And, and everybody's putting up their ornaments, and, and the girls, one of the girls, she grew up, and she got married this summer, and so her new husband is there, and he holds up this ornament, and it looks like a, a campfire. And he goes, what is this ornament all about? And she smiles at her new husband and she says, oh, you got to ask Uncle Silas about that. And Uncle Silas is standing and leaning on the table and he goes, oh, I can tell you about that decoration. That belonged to a man that I worked with years ago, good friend of mine. His name was Peter. He was one of the first people to follow Jesus. He was a good friend of Jesus. And he goes, my buddy Peter, he said that going around with Jesus during those three years, oh, they were the strangest years of his life. Crazy things happened. People got healed and miracles took place and and lives were changed. He said if he hadn't seen it with his own eyes, he never would have believed it himself. He said, but he said, I was there. There was no scam. I was there. I saw the whole thing. And uh, one time, Jesus said something to my friend Peter, and it really impacted him, really, really caught his attention. He said, now, I say to you, 
that you are Peter, which means rock. And on this rock, I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. My friend Peter said that moment impacted him really deeply. He felt pretty good about it. He's a rock. He's going to be a rock. Unshakable, strong, never going never gonna to waver, never going to break, nothing. He's just going to, and God is going to build something called a church on him. And it's going to be awesome, and it's going to be powerful, and the gates of hell itself will not be able to stand against him. And he really, really felt the weight of the responsibility as well as the importance of it all. He's pretty exhilarated about it. Oh, and then there was that awful night, you know, when Jesus was betrayed. And he tried to warn the disciples about it, tried to tell them it's not going to go well. It's going to be scary. It's going to be difficult. And, and he said they would all betray him. And Peter, my friend, he said... No, not me. These other guys, yeah, but not me. I'm a rock. You said I'm a rock. I'm unshakable. Nothing can mess with me. I'm going to do great things. I got your back, Jesus. You don't need to worry about anything. And then he pulled out his sword to save the day. He was taking a stand against the powers of hell. And it didn't matter. Jesus was arrested. Everybody ran away, including Peter. And my friend Peter, he always said he always gave up on the notion of being a rock that day. It wasn't a rock at all. Blockhead, maybe. But not a rock that the church could be built on. And after Jesus rose from the dead, Peter went back to fishing. It's all he was good at. It's all he could do. He's not really a rock. And then one night he came back and he found Jesus cooking breakfast in the early morning before dawn hit. Found Jesus cooking breakfast over a, well, over a campfire like this ornament on the beach. Just like that ornament that you're holding. And, and he and Jesus, they had a little chat. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. My friend Peter, he always said that after that conversation, that's when he really understood. That's when he got it of what Jesus wanted from him, what God wanted from him. It wasn't about being a rock. And it wasn't about trying hard and being unshakable and never doing anything wrong and always getting everything perfect and never making a mistake. It wasn't about that at all. It was about friendship with God and just obeying from that space. Peter, do you love me? That's it. Just about friendship. That was all that needed, for, all that God needed in order to use him. Just a heart that loved Jesus. 
and was willing to obey, willing to walk it out. Everything else followed after that. And Uncle Silas paused in his story and he said, you know, my friend Peter, he sure was different after that. Oh, he was on fire. He went around, he started churches in different places. The church wouldn't even be around today if it wasn't for him. And he goes, my friend Peter, he sent letters to the churches. I helped write them for him. And he would dictate the letter and I would write it down. And oh my goodness, the passion that came out of him. He just loved the church that Jesus had created. And in the end, he willingly died for it. Willingly died for Jesus. He said he had no regrets. He said that this campfire ornament always reminded him of the truth. That it wasn't what he accomplished that mattered. It was whether he had a relationship with God. That's the difference Jesus made for him. Then we go to one more house. One more Christmas tree. One more family putting ornaments on. And a woman that's there with her family, she pulls, she leans over and picks up the ornament that means the most to her and she just holds it and nobody asks. Everybody in the family knows what it means. They all know what it's about. They've all heard the story and they sit quietly and respectfully as she holds it up. It's a heart and it has a sword through it. And the woman that's holding it is Mary, the mother of Jesus. And she remembers the night the angel came to her. She remembers when the angel told her, you're going to have the Son of God. You're going to give birth to the Messiah. And, and she remembers Bethlehem and the birth at the night that it happened. And she remembers incoherent shepherds crowding in and yelling something about angels in the sky. And she remembers strangers from the east, weird people with guests, with gifts that came and visited the whole thing. She remembers all of that. And she remembers going into the temple with her husband Joseph and they brought their little baby with them, brought their little baby boy into the temple to be blessed. And she remembers Simeon prophesying. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall, but he will be a joy to many others. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. You know, Mary wasn't much of a talker. She was more of a people watcher, kind of quiet, sat on the sides, took stuff in, treasured it in her heart, held it there to think about it and ponder it later. She didn't quite understand what Simeon meant when he said that over her little baby. A sword will pierce your soul? Angel never said anything about pain. And so she went home and she watched her little boy grow up and watched him turn into this this child and this uh, young teenager who could teach teachers, which was kind of interesting. And then she had, you know, there were other children around and she had to explain to his little brothers and sisters that their older brother never really did do anything wrong at all, which is difficult in a family. And then she smiled with pride as he became an adult and the crowd started adoring him and they started following him. And she worried 
as they started turning against him, turning on him a little bit. And then she um, trembled as the priests brought accusations against him, false accusations, but powerful ones. And then she despaired as the authorities condemned him. And then she crumbled as they crucified her boy. Agonizing pain. Indescribable sorrow. And then, and then the shock that he was alive. There's just no words to describe everything that Mary went through through that whole time. And then she was in the upstairs room 40 days later with all the disciples and all the people that had run and hid, but they were gathered together in this upstairs room when the Holy Spirit came. And it was so huge and so meaningful and so real. And then she saw the birth of the church and it started getting planted in all different places around the known world. And her son James became one of the leaders of the church. And she saw lives change and she saw people healed and she saw people set free and all kinds of things happening as the good news went everywhere that people could have a friendship with God because of her boy, Jesus. And no one in the family said a word as she took her ornament and she hung it on the tree and she whispered, when I was in pain, he brought good from it. He didn't abandon me. He was working through his purposes and bringing them to pass. And he brought good out of my pain. That's the difference Jesus made for me. Which then brings us to the question, what's your story? Because everybody has a story. If you had an ornament to hang on your Christmas tree that explained your story and why it matters to you that Jesus was born and why it matters to you that the light of the world came and shone in a dark night in the middle of a a sin-filled creation, why would it matter to you? What story would you tell? And what ornament would you have on the tree? Last week, we looked at that big moment. Remember? Oh, little town of Bethlehem. That huge moment when light dawned in the darkness. And the people in Bethlehem never even saw it, but the angels did. And it reverberated through time and through space and around the world and through history. This huge moment when the creator of the world came to take it back. Remember that? But Jesus didn't come just for that one moment. He came for every person who would have their own moment. Jesus came so that every one of us could have that moment when he would be born in our hearts and we would be made new. A moment when Jesus would make a difference in our lives. And lots of times, those moments happen all around us, and we don't even know. And sometimes they happen inside us, and nobody else seems to notice right away, but it still matters. It's still real. How silently, how silently, the wondrous. 
this gift is given. That's how God imparts to human hearts the message of his heaven. Moments when understanding dawns and when confusion clears and when a heart is changed and priorities shift and perspectives change and moments when that baby that was born in Bethlehem is born in our own hearts and we are made new. No ear may hear his coming but in this world of sin where meek souls will receive him still the dear Christ enters in. I'm just going to ask you to bow your heads at this moment. Because in just a few moments, we're going to together take communion or the Lord's Supper. It's the tradition that Jesus himself brought in to help us remember why he came and what he did and why it matters to us. We're going to take it together in just a few moments, but we always pause first to examine ourselves and to consider, what's my story? Where am I at with Jesus? And so if you are somebody that's here this morning and you are a follower of Jesus and you know it and you have been for however long, still, pause at this moment. Remember what it is that he did. Remember the difference that he made in your life. Take a moment to do that. Take a moment to open your heart and say, Jesus, is there anything else that you would like to change? Is there any other difference that you want to make in me? Anything else that I need to deal with? Just take a moment. And if you're here this morning and you say, well, I don't really know if I'm a follower of Jesus. I, I thought maybe I was, but now I'm not sure, or I never have, and I don't really understand everything that's being said this morning, but it sounds like it matters, and it sounds like something I want to be part of. You can whisper a prayer right now, inviting him in. Jesus, would you come into my life? I don't really understand everything this pastor is saying, but I, I want to follow you. I want you to change my life like you changed all those other lives. And so I'm inviting you in to do that. Forgive my sins. Make me right with you. Help me to start a friendship with you that will change my life. Go ahead and whisper that prayer right now. And then would you take out the elements that you received as you came in this morning so we could take the Lord's Supper together. And the way it works is it's, it's two in one. You're going to peel off the cellophane on the top and you're going to get the wafer from there. And then you're going to peel off the foil underneath and that's going to help you get to the juice. If you're a follower of Jesus, even just for the last 30 seconds, you're welcome to participate in this. You don't have to be a member of this church or baptized here or anything. 
As long as you're part of God's family with us, we would love to have you participate. Scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, For I pass on to you what I receive from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. And then he broke it in pieces and he said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. Can we take it together? In the same way, the scripture says, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Can we take it together? stand with me and would you just start to verbalize thanks to Jesus for what he did for us for the difference that he made in your life and in all of our lives just start whispering that out loud or saying it right out loud Jesus we give you thanks we give you honor we give you praise because of what you did and the difference that you made for us God we ask that you would help us to continue walking that out We honor you and praise you this morning. Thank you, God. Would you sing a worship song with our team and then we'll close the service?